0: You're eating my heart away And there's nothing much left of me
1: I drunk
2: your wine. Welcome back, this is Mark Steiner That's Trouble, Yusuf Islam so We all know him growing up as Cat Stevens. I'm Mark Steiner. Welcome back here to the Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, W-E-A-A, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And we start the conversation out today looking at the whole question of this next hour of mental health uh, in the black community, but that means in America (laughs) to me. And we'll talk about why that is and more. Uh, we are joined here for the first part of the program by Dr. Mindy Fullylove who is, of course, professor of clinical psychiatry and public health at Columbia University, author of numerous books, uh, most recently *Urban Alchemy: Restoring Joy in America's uh, Sorted Out Cities*, uh, and uh, one of the leading thinkers in this sense. Of what means what root shock means, and more in our world. In the studio within our are also Michael Scott, chief equity officer, uh, president, and co-founder of Equity Matters, and uh, Jan Desper Peters who is executive director of Black Mental Health Alliance. And on the phone with us, Marissa Stonebass, director of Living well. So Welcome to have you all here. Glad to be here, Mark. Thank you. And Dr. Mindy Fuller, great to have you with us. It's an honor to have you on the, yeah, sh- on the you show know. with Thank you so much for taking the time today. 410 319 is the number here. To join us, you can also log on to our Facebook pages, uh, write to us at talkatsteinershow.org, tweet me at Mark Steiner, but 410 410- 319-8888. Uh, and Dr. of let me, let me start here. There, I, there's so much that we begin with. But I think that, you know, I was reading the, the report this morning, really, really early in the morning from the Kaiser Foundation that just came out, saying that poverty in America has grown. And it's, it, it's, it, it's more intense and larger now than it was during the recession, and which means that in black communities and communities of color, uh, it's grown fundamentally even larger and I think that we don't often put that particular statistic and that report together with the idea about how people are affected deeply by their social condition, deeply by the places they live, and where people are forced to live.
3: I, I would agree. We don't put those two things together. Um, but it, it's when we talk about poverty, we often talk about it as as a static thing, as if poverty is poverty. But poverty really itself is shaped by how we are living. And so the poverty of today is worse than the poverty of 50 years ago because we've had 50 years of policy that have torn apart black communities. And so now we have little money but also little social support. The communities are very fragile from all of these terrible urban policies that have been foisted on us. So the poverty of today is quite horrific poverty.
2: So, what does that mean in terms of the, the, for what you've talked about in terms of the psychology of place? Because I want to come back to the horrific nature of poverty and, and posit something and see what you think. But, but what about how does that fit into this whole notion of the psychology of place?
3: We are, um, I mean, you know, individuals are embedded in in locations that are created by the built environment, but also by the social relationships that exist there, and. So this is uh, one of the great thinkers in psychiatry, John Bowlby, said, a second homeostatic system, like our bodies keep us in balance inside of us, but our places keep us in balance outside of us. And they really keep our thinking and our group thinking in balance if they are, you know, whatever it is. But we are in balance with the place. So if we are in healthy places that nurture us and that are stable and we have decent jobs and churches and schools that work, we're going to be very happy, healthy people and productive and inventive. But if we're in places that are being trashed, where the buildings are burning down and the police are brutal, that not only is our collective going to have a hard time functioning, but we as individuals are going to be made crazy by this.
2: And, and being made crazy, I mean, and crazy that's a, that's a deep psychiatric term, I know. <laughs>
0: it's <laughs> totally deep.
2: It is. I know. I'm just... I'm, but, but, but one of the things I was thinking about, you know, I, I, when I watched... Baltimore erupt after the death of Freddie Gray um, while he was in police custody. And I had this debate on the air with people and other media that, you know, going to pause this and see if you think this is completely out of line and crazy or not. But when I look at the people who are, who are who, the young people who erupted, um, these are people whose communities have been displaced in a very serious way. Uh, the, the neighborhoods look at this. They've been bombed out communities. We have places in Baltimore where these young people have come from that have been destroyed and torn apart because highways were built that were never used and to, just tore about communities and uh, that have been stable for 40, 50, 60 years before that, segregated or not. And that the young people who erupted, their parents, their grandparents were there at the end of segregation but also the, the beginning of deindustrialization and were trapped in, in some of the worst poverty they've had. Before that, they, 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 they fled the racial terror of the South to live in segregated Baltimore. And before that, they lived in the terror and segregation of the South. Before that, enslaved. Before that, the Middle Passage. and I, I'm, And I don't think I'm making too much of this, that we're talking about generations of that and how it affects people's thinkings, feelings, desires, and behavior.
3: Well, but it, it, the there are continuities and discontinuities in in this story. So we did abolish chattel slavery, which was a huge leap forward for human freedom. And Jim Crow was been imposed, but we've made huge strides in the towards the abolition of Jim Crow. And when we make these great leaps forward, people people move forward and they have better lives. Right. In many in many 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 ways. So it's, there are ups in this story. So the black communities that were built by people of the Great Migration had thriving institutions. They, had, they were gaining political power. They had developed economic capital, certainly cultural capital. You play a lot of jazz on your show, and jazz is all about that. So the creativity and the inventiveness and the, and the, the growth of real power in those neighborhoods we have to acknowledge that we don't want to. We don't want to skip over that. Right. Right. So then, then, but then the dialectic was that these policies of destruction—so urban renewal, planned shrinkage, deindustrialization, mass incarceration, the drug epidemics that were that were untreated—and now foreclosure and gentrification. These policies destroyed those powerful communities, and what the young people are screaming about is the torture that it is to live in a, in a neighborhood that's been beaten in that way over decades, and much of the good that was built in the 30s, 40s, and 50s destroyed. So it's recognizing that we're, we're in the throes of a new set of horrific policies. I call this serial force displacement, and uh, but I think it's hard to grasp what this set is, and, how, and it's certainly hard to figure out how are we going to fight it. But the young people are saying, no, this is horrific, this is killing us. And they're right, because it is intended to kill us.
2: Well, what do you mean that by that last sentence? It's intended to kill us.
3: He, people, like all living creatures, have to have stable habitat in which you can find what you need, food, clothing, shelter. And all of these policies have destroyed our stable habitat. And, and what's happening is an increase in the death rate. As the New York Times reported, 1.5 million so-called missing black men. They weren't missing. They were either dead or in prison. But So black life expectancy is going down, All American life expectancy is going down, but certainly black life expectancy is going down. We're dying from tearing apart our habitat. And so this issue, I, I mean, when people say, when the kids are saying black lives matter, I, I think that it's one of those things where they stumble upon a deep truth. That, that that's what's happening, and that's what we need to turn around. And they're they're right to say this is the issue.
2: I think. I, I yeah, I think as well. And a lot of panels jump in with thoughts and comments for you while, while you're with us for the next twenty minutes. But but uh, and folks, please do join us at 410-319-8888. three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. You're hearing the voice and thoughts of Doctor Mindy Fully Love. Four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight is the number to join us or tweet us at Mark Steiner. Write to us at talk dot at org. But and I wonder then. And I, I'm I'm just interested also in kind of the prescription for what to do in terms – because the responses, A, have to be political and economic, but they're also psychological in a collective community sense. Um, and I was thinking about a book that I was talking about the other day, which is an old, old book, The Mass Psychology of Fascism by Wilhelm Reich. and And that book in itself, you can take pieces out of that and think about – the, the the place of America and Black America today as well, And I'm just thinking. So it's it's a collective psychology and individual psychology. I mean, there's there's a there's a, there's a lot at play here, and a lot of responses. I think we have to wrestle with and implement.
3: In in my experience, um, when you have had policies that have destroyed the social organization, what you have to repair is the social organization. And a lot of the individual distress will go down as you repair the social organization. People have to get reconnected. As soon as they're reconnected, they're going to start to feel better. And that's why in my book, Urban Alchemy, Restoring Joy in America to Sorted Out Cities, I put the emphasis on, on, on people getting together, communities getting together, to find what they're for, what, what they want to see, so that they know what they're about and then beginning to look around themselves in their environment to see what has to get fixed, and then beginning to repair this whole series of injuries from the serial force displacement, many kinds of injuries, from the burning out of neighborhoods to highways tearing cities apart. All those injuries have to get repaired. But as we do that collective work, as you do any collective work, people feel better, because what really is making them unhappy is being in isolation, Feeling defeated, feeling helpless, feeling overwhelmed—that they'll ever have a chance. That the, that the odds are against them. As soon as they start to work collectively, they're going to feel like, "Okay, we're in this together. Let's
4: get started." They're going okay. to feel better. Uh, that that collective piece, Minnie. This is Michael Scott. Michael Scott. Scott. I, I just, uh, well, a couple things. Like, so you, in some senses, describe what I guess is the latest buzz term of trauma right? Like everyone's talking about trauma and trauma-informed care, and that's important. I think there's a great opportunity here and a great risk that as we're talking about how do we heal that trauma, we got to go first of all back to your original statement, which was that some of this was intended to kill us, right? And so there's an element, there's a discussion around racism and structural stuff and and the stuff that we're not aware of that gets caught up in that once that has been done to all of us. And so, you know, that aside, I think what struck out for me was when you 're commenting how, how we actually do that, right so you know the uh, book I mentioned last time was on the air, which really caught my attention because of the unique way that the component parts of society are working together was mega communities and 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 how leaders of government uh, business uh, and nonprofits uh, can tackle today 's global challenges so if we if we 're talking about the way that we repair disenfranchisement dif- disempowerment a conversation about power has to be part of that. And so who's convening, you know, who 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 gets funded, right? All those things that we really don't think about when we think about repairing community and whose voices get pushed out at the table versus, you know, who who's the guy that says that thing that needs to be said, not because he wants to call folks out, but because we'll be better if we think about that as part of the solutions. That's got to be part of the conversation because I think a lot of the a lot of the drop a lot of the stuff drops off because our systems or our institutions are pushing us in particular ways, and so that, that, that has to drop off the, off the table in the middle of, of, of designing a, a solution for this stuff. And so I think modeling a new way of being where, uh, you know, nonprofits, institutions, you know, I mean, Mindy, you, 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 can, pass, you can be an activist today, but you're also a, a, a professor. And so I think that's a unique role for, for us to talk about as well.
2: And and, you know, and I think and talk about that, Mindy, and I folks, other guests, please join in at 410 and also my call listeners out there, 410-319-8888 is going to come to these calls coming in right now. But I, I'm really interested, in, I've been, and I was reading through Urban Alchemy, and I have not had a chance to finish it, but I'm looking forward to finishing it and really having a conversation around that. But I think the idea of also approaching the healing from inside out, yeah. not just from the outside in, and finding that joy, as you said, and rebuilding community— is kind of critical to kind of uh, kind of creating new social, economic, cultural models in community, as opposed to always having them imposed in from the outside. Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
1: well, Mark, I, this I think a the, the, on the point.
3: Well, um, I just wanted to time
2: wait, wait, Let me let let me let Mindy finish that, Marissa. I'll come right back to you,
3: Mindy. I, I think the, the problem of I think the problem in our society is that these policies of all these policies of destruction, have created a sorting by race and class so that people are disconnected from each other, all the people. Mm-hmm. And, and within the black community, which has been through so much upheaval, people, were really little tiny fragments. And so the goal is reconnection at every level of society. But to do that, people have to be programmatic and that's the key conversation i think and everything else everything else is important like how do we have power how do we do this how do we get money but but it's what is it for Mm -hmm. and so it's convening people to talk about what what is the society we want where are we going is is you know death and destruction what we really want Mm -hmm. i think that's how we rebuild a society that will make sense to us and to and to these young people so I think the programmatic conversation is the first conversation, and then of course we have to talk about money and power, but but for what? So let's talk about what we're for.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean that 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 that's a conversation you can feel that's bubbling up right now. That Ta-Nehisi. I think is so is is is, is that it's so critical. You said Tanahasi, Well, yeah. you'll hear his conversation on the air with Tanahasi tomorrow here at 11 a.m. Um, but or 10 a.m. Excuse me. But but let me let me what were you trying to say, Marissa? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No,
1: I just wanted to, you know, literally echo on um, what Lenny said, you know, that living well we are in the business of recreating that social community and that social organization so that people can tap into the creativity so that they don't have to feel trapped in their, you know, communities or in their social situations.
2: Folks, let me open the phones at 410-319-8888. Your thoughts? I'm curious your thoughts about the healing that has to take place from the inside out. And we have so many examples of so many people trying that. For everything from people who want to build workers' collectives inside community to build jobs in a new economy, to young people who are building their own organizations to so the groups like Living Well that are working with this. Who are on our program today? Uh, just numerous ways, people who are developing, like um, uh, the Reverend Heber Brown, others who have created this ne- network, a farming network among the black churches, right. so people can begin to feed themselves and find a new way of living. There are ways that can come and do that to transform society and not always allow us to be transformed by those on the outside, but transform mm-hmm. ourselves and force those on the outside, like government, then to respond to how we want it as opposed to what they want. Okay. 410-319-8888 is a number here. What are your thoughts? Um, and let's go to Kadria Line one, uh, welcome, 410-319-8888.
5: Thank you. Um, Mark, you know, I always want to ask you. <laughs> hey, Katja, you could you, could, let me
2: ask I you to turn your radio down so we don't hit so we don't have the echo, so we can hear you better.
5: Thank you. I want anybody talk about anything. In separation, you're giving pushback, but yet in the same voice, you say that we have to do for ourselves in essence rather than have other people tell us how we do it. I agree with that. And I'm going to say, like I said before, this is like the battered woman syndrome. If you beats the hell out of us, we go back. Baby, I'm sorry. A week later, we have a black eye. Two weeks later, we have a lip. It seems to me the only solution is to separate ourselves, vigilance, you know, watch our own community because that's how we did it before, and go for our own self. It's 500 years. The people here are not going to do any better for us. They've never had any attention of the slave rising to the status of the master. And if we just keep asking the same people that have enslaved us, beaten the hell out of us, and literally hate us, although they really want us to stay here and serve them, we're not going to go to the same place we got right now. digging that hole go further and further and further.
2: Khadra, it's good to hear your thoughts. I appreciate you calling. Minnie, what are your thoughts about what Khadra just posited?
3: I, I think that... Uh, you know, I really appreciate her sharing how she's feeling about it, and that to her it feels like a battered woman syndrome. It, it's certainly, uh, re- you know, repetitive. It's over and over and over again. And but, but what we do, I, I don't think that you know, separating ourselves is either possible or going to be the right solution. Um, and but but part of the problem is, can we have this conversation? We are certainly for not being battered anymore and let's put that on the table about how do we stop that um i was very impressed reading in the paper today that the uh that the politicians the black politicians in south carolina were saying that they're very glad the confederate flag was taken down but now they want to work on jobs and housing and employment because black people in south carolina are so poor and they're they're just feeling hopeful for the first time that maybe they'll make progress so so those are the those are the things that are at play jobs housing employment um and we but we just haven't been able to reach those goals, so understanding that we are battered people we are we have been battered um is is the right frame
4: there was a there was a funny thing on comedy central said, boy, if this if it took this much just to remo- remove the symbol of racism, boy, wh- what's going to happen when we actually try to do it itself? And I think you know that that trauma that that's been part of this this American story that Ta Nehisi is so brilliantly uh, uh, laid out has made made this topic, along with all the things that we've been seeing with with black black and brown men and women and and police, it has brought this conversation to the fore. But then, it's, as Mindy said, what do we do about it? And I think collaborating differently, thinking differently about what the problem is and I can certainly understand the caller's pain I don't necessarily agree that that um, you know it's it it, you know I, I think we have some internal work to do which is I think the heart of her point but I think, and, and within our community, but I think we can uh, walk and chew gum at the same time and also collaborate. It, it seems to
2: me in some ways, Jan, you have been so
4: silent. Yeah, Go uh, ahead, yeah. please. Jump I just in. I just wanted to
0: say, um, I'm Jan Desper Peters at the Black Mental Health Alliance, and um, one of the beauty, uh, p- beautiful pieces about um, speaking with Mindy Fullerlove today and the fact that she's going to be in Baltimore on Thursday yes. is that um, she is a psychiatrist, And um, at the Black Mental Health Alliance, one of the pieces that we looked at as we looked um, at having this call to action for black mental health professionals and community healers and community in general is this whole notion of healing from the inside out, as you just uh, spoke about. And this whole feeling of helplessness, hopelessness, and despair, and how do we provide the tools to empower our people to not feel that way so that they can turn the corner. And so I'm excited that um, and would like to actually have uh, Mindy, if she would, speak a little bit about that. You know, her, her dual role as a psychiatrist and a community activist and um, some of the lessons that she's learned from her own hometown and working with other cities around the country.
2: Sure. Mindy?
3: Um, well, I don't particularly see that as a dual role. I feel like I'm a psychiatrist. And, um,
5: <laughs> right
3: <laughs> that's that's just it. Um, but um, I have I have had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with communities um, around the around the us. and it's the, it's the lessons that I learned from all of these people, like um, Terry Baltimore in Pittsburgh and Molly Rose Kaufman in Orange, New Jersey, and Lourdes Rodriguez in New York City, these these people who are really doing grassroots organizing and thinking about these issues that I try to present in Urban Alchemy. I, I, you know, a lot of people who are on the front lines in this struggle, and they're doing really positive, wonderful work. And so that's what I want to lift up, is that is that we can change this. We have to name it properly, and we have to design... Um, what we want to do so that it truly addresses the problem. I know I, this process that I've watched 30 years in the field of you know doing research in all these neighborhoods, this process of serial force displacement is not something that we have uh, an agreed upon name for. Mm-hmm. I call it serial force displacement, but a lot of other people, when they talk about one or another of the components of it, like mass incarceration or police brutality or gentrification, but it's, I think it's a whole set. Mm. So that's kind of the first issue is, like, what's our pro- what do we call our problems? Do we, are we just victims of domestic violence? I kind of like that formulation. But, you know, what is it? What is it we're up against? And then what do we do about it? So uh, th- that's really kind of a big task.
2: And, and before we have to let to Dr. Love go and, and get to the, our panel here, I'm going to get a phone call in. One more thought, then we'll take a break at 410 319 Dickens in Baltimore, you're on the air. Welcome.
6: Well, thank you for taking my call. Um, I keep hearing people say about what we need to do and how come to the table and things of that sort, but until we get a seat at the table, we ain't going to have no say. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be heard. We're going to be heard, but we're not going to be recognized. I believe we need to get a seat at the political table so that we can have a voice to be able to make changes within the policies and procedures. All the marching, all the praying, and anything that we do, I don't believe it's all. Be valid until we get a seat at the table, so that we can actually have a say. Whereas though you have the the, the, Moja, the People's Progress Party now, uh, trying to establish a Black electoral party, so that we can establish a seat at the table um, and have a say within the arena. Because as everybody like the Tea Party, they they wanted to say they wouldn't got a seat at the table. We need to do the same thing as a people, as a race. And as those who are of low income, it's called Ujima, the People's Progress Party. Right. And they have a, a petition online right now. And if you go to org and download the petition, and we can get so many signatures that we can have a say and have the first black electoral party uh, here in Baltimore. And, and, of course, you know, if it's started in Baltimore, it's going to spread across the United States. So... <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I just believe that we just need to get a seat at the table in order to be heard.
2: Dickens, thanks so much for the call. And and I, the, the the folks from Germany have been on the show before, and we'll have that conversation with them some more as they as things pick up politically in this town. But let me close with this thought. I mean, and I was thinking about what Dickens just said as well, uh, Mindy, fully love is that. We talk about kind of building something from the inside out, and, and, you, and you write about kind of creating this thing, the, the this institutions and, and, and bringing um, a, a, an awakening inside the community and a joy back, that building those institutions in some ways is a political act that affects the larger whole and allows perhaps community to control things rather than be controlled always from, by other people's agendas. That is a process of healing as well.
3: So my my theory is that it it's the the extent of social fracture in our country has actually paralyzed the whole nation. That's my observation. We're not having any rational conversations about any of the serious problems we're facing, like like climate change, um or the long recession, the growth in poverty, income inequality. We're not having any serious conversations about these crucial issues. And So I I certainly believe that communities have to heal, that there's some healing from within, but but there are larger collectives that we need to participate in. So we need to participate in the city, and I agree with the caller who was saying we need political power. We do need political power, but what what are you going to use your power for? So we need to find out what we're for. But I I don't see, we had strong communities, and they were destroyed by policies from larger levels. We're destroyed by the city, the county, the state, the, go- the federal government. So you can't protect communities from within communities. You have to have a rational society that values all neighborhoods. That- that's what we have to create. We can't do that in isolation. We do need political power. But most important, we need to be able to articulate what is the kind of society we're trying to create.
4: Well, Mindy, I- and we're there be- we go. So we have, we that, to-
3: will, that will heal people.
2: I'm going to take a very short break here. And first, I want to thank Dr. Mindy Love for today to spending this time with us here in Baltimore in this conversation on the Mark Steiner Show, professor of clinical psychiatry and public health at Columbia University, author of lots of books, the latest, which is really an amazing book, Urban Alchemy, Restoring Joy in America, Sort of Communities. Uh, and you can uh, meet Dr. Mindy Love July 23rd this Thursday at 6 p.m. she will be joining an event called Baltimore Rising, Summoning the Village at the Carter Memorial Church of God and Christ at 13 South Poppleton, and more information at bhealthall at gmail.com, which we'll talk about more in the next half an hour. And Dr. Folio, thank you so much for being part of this program. I deeply appreciate it. Looking forward to your conversation on Thursday when you're here. Great.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you so much. We're going to have a very brief break and come right back with our three guests who are staying here to kind of continue off of where we left. Mitchell is the next caller. We're going to get you a phone call at 410-319-8888. And we are going to break with Lauren Hill, from our MTV Unplugged performance, we'll be right back.
1: I don't
0: expect to be justified. Welcome back.
2: Sure I'm Mark Steiner. That's Joni Mitchell performing Goodbye Blue Sky with Pink Floyd. And Mark Steiner, welcome back to our conversation. We'll continue uh, with our three guests who stay with us here. Uh, Marissa Stone Bass, who is director of Living Well, a place I've yet to visit. But I plan to visit very soon because I've been hearing so much about this spot. I've got to see what's going on. And Jan Desper-Peters, who is executive director of the Black Medical Health Alliance. And Michael Scott, chief equity officer, president, co-founder of Equity Matters. And y'all at four-one-zero-three-one-nine-eight-eight-eight-eight. And if you don't mind, I'd like to – the caller who just called in before Mindy left, let's get – uh, him on and then come back, and, and you all can respond to him. Sure. 410-319-8888. Mitchell, welcome to the airwaves. Hi. Um, Mitchell, how you doing, man? Pretty good. Good.
7: i like to respond um, to the lady that called earlier um, that said we need to separate ourselves. I've heard her call before, and I think yes. there was a, a misunderstanding of what she was saying about us separating ourselves um, earlier on you know, um, they ran down a historical analysis of the 1930s and how we had built power and had all these um, things in the communities. And, you know, in the context of that, we have to remember that these things were built in segregation and isolation. And those communities were stro- destroyed consciously because they didn't want us independent or have that kind of power. It send a message not only here, but to the world. And the idea that, Most of the um, other ethnic groups in this country have formed their power through some form of nationalism within the larger society. The Irish, the Italians, and the Jewish communities built their own little communities, and, and, you know, it was acceptable. But when the black community does that, you know, it's not acceptable. And so what I want to raise is there's a kind of schizophrenia about what we do Within our own communities. How do we do that? How do we build that? Because those examples of us building nationalism within the capitalist free, so called free society have been wiped out. But we use those as examples, and they were done under segregation. So that kind of schizophrenia, you know, and how easily what that lady said was dismissed by everybody, not in a mean way, but just unthinkingly not understanding the historical context of how we build those communities in the first place, out <laughs> of segregation.
2: No, and I, and I hear what you're saying, Mitchell, and I actually don't disagree with what you just said. I mean, I think that, 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 that is how it happened. And the thing about when we talk about the, the Jewish, Italian, and other communities in America, um, that in some ways when they, people first got here from Europe, those refugees were not considered completely white, but then they, the definition of white was expanded. To include those folks. Mm-hmm. We know the only group that's not going to be including that definition, we know who that is <laughs> in, in this country, right? right? That's right. So, so, and I think that what you're saying, I think it has huge import. Um, so the question is, I think the question is how you build that and how you struggle for the place. And Mitchell, we've known each other for a long time. And I think that maybe it's high time to get back on the air here as a panelist. so you can push these ideas in the air, which need to be heard.
4: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with Mitchell either, and and I and I think when I say we walk, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. What I meant is, you know, we can build our power. We can do things intentionally for our community. Um, but, you know, we, we also live in a place where there is a, you know, uh, uh, Tana uh, Hazi's book, you know, talks about the Mecca, right? And so, you know, the Mecca has, has a lot of different components to it, right? Like, so it's, it's a big, broad world. And so I think, I think we have to be open to, to um, you know, building intentionally in our community and also leveraging relationships outside and figuring out what that looks like. There's a, it's a big world out there. and in, in, f- in fact, people of color are the majority in the world. Right? We often forget that, right? right, And so, and so I'm just saying, like, like you no, know, we can be intentional about our own stuff, and we can also be smart about how we leverage uh, outside.
2: Mar- Marissa, let me – Marissa has yeah. me, jumped in for a minute. Let me get you back in here, Marissa, and your thoughts on what you just heard.
1: Yes. Um, I, you know, I totally agree. I mean, from, you know, the perspective of the living Well, we are a center for social and economic vibrancy. And, um, you know, many, uh, you know, referred to it. Uh, we have to rebuild our social organizations. Our social capital and um, use uh, our community in a way of leverage in terms of bartering you know economic um, opportunities for one another Um, you know in our in our city um, in Baltimore you know the living well is housed in an area uh, called Old Goucher right and Old Goucher houses the highest populace of minority-owned business in the entire city and we operate from a cooperative model so that People don't feel stuck. You know, people do feel stuck when they don't have access to economic opportunities because they don't have access to educational opportunities because they don't have access um, to someone uh, to help them to provide that kind of like, you know, let me just grab your hand and pull you into our circle. And we, um, as a community, have always leveraged social capital. You know, William Julius Wilson from University of Chicago talks about When we desegregated our communities, we lost our social infrastructure where if Mr. John lost his job, he could go to Mr. Bill in the community and say, you know, hey, can you put a good word in for me, you know, down at the job. We have lost that infrastructure. And so so it's very important for us to identify, you know, our um, organic skills and capacity and talents in the community and use those to leverage social and economic opportunities
0: yeah I was just gonna say, um that um probably President Obama wasn't the first, but um a lot of his initial fundraising for the presidency came from asking people to give five and ten dollars, so he he grew um this um mass amount of money by people doing that, and I'm sure that you all are seeing that again as the the um the list of people that are um running for office is um, upon us. And so one of the things that the, the gentleman said um, that before on the air was that this whole piece about not uh, not waiting for someone else to do it for us. And so as an executive director of a small nonprofit, really um, that should be um, – A national nonprofit. We've been in business for 30 years. The Black Mental Health Alliance was incorporated in 1984. Michael and I talked in the green room about how he's been doing this work for 10 years, and we're still being nickel and dimed as far as um, the funds that we receive as organizations doing this tremendous work. And so you have organizations like Associated Black Charities, who is a major sponsor for us for bringing Dr. Mindy Fuller Love in. But then, you know, you have a scratching um, trying to get our people to support these kind of efforts so that we can bring in these thought leaders. And it's not just about us. This is this is not a speaker series. This is about um, identifying the the um, with a with a mental health uh, focus. We're infusing mental health strategies and solutions into what we're doing because mental health is a part of every aspect of the various topics that we've talked about. Whether it's unemployment, whether it's um, um, the housing situation, whether it's um, the food deserts. I mean, there there is a mental health component in all of that, and we're struggling trying to um, to bring um, these issues to light. And one of the things that Mark was saying off the air was this whole piece about the table. what, Who, who decides what the table is and how we get to the table okay. and um, defining whether or not we want to be at somebody else's table or creating our own table. And so when you look at... Who, is, um, who has the cash? That a lot of times determines who um, creates the table for us. And so I, I just would implore our community to, to really, again, not wait for somebody else to do it for us, but then also to, to dig deep and um, know that um, without uh, cash, you know, it's difficult to have a cause. And so we need to fund our own
4: causes. So I was going to say, you know, 1% of American wealth, right, reallocated in crowdsourcing – would simultaneously dwarf all venture capital, all angel investment, and all foundation spending annually combined. I mean, that's a fact. That came out of the White House's head crowdsourcing. But what does that really mean? So what? I say
2: so what because, so, so, I, mean, what I mean, what is that? I mean, so that, but that, that reality says what?
4: If we're more intentional about how we crowdsource, because we, we've always crowdsourced, the black community has always crowdsourced. That's what the black church did, right? And so that's why I think right. the point she was making: mm-hmm. if we're more uh, intentional, intentional, not only in our community but in other communities of color, we, we have the power to really exactly. do some things differently. But but it's going to take another degree of intentionality. And I, and I think that's one of the great accomplishments during this Obama era is we don't have to go to the priests of Wall Street to raise money anymore is the Protestant Reformation of capital. You can actually go and raise without having to file with the SEC. You can raise foundation type of money. You can raise business type of money. We're doing something tomorrow with with Under Armour because we're talking about conscious capital. So it's not just co-ops, but that's a form of conscious capital. It's also people who are in business playing by the business rules saying, I don't want to take every dollar off the table. It matters to me what what my community happens to my community, to my vendors, to my employees. And, and and let's convene that conversation. Okay. So for me, when Mindy talked about you got to name it, you know the thing. I think there's multiple strands. I think that I think it's finding the common strands that run through it. And for us, um, it, it's equity. I don't want equality. I just want everyone to have a shot to be the best that they can. I, I want everyone to have a, a seat at a table, whether it's one they created or one they feel comfortable mm-hmm. with. Right? If, if we do that differently, um, then I think I, I think some of these outcomes can can shift.
2: Well, I mean, I, I might just, uh, folks, join us back four one zero three one nine eight 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 eight. Want to hear your thoughts? Bring them to the table. I was bringing what Mitchell just had to say, and I and I think that that I'm just think about what Mitchell said a moment ago, and I'm not going to try to rephrase it or recapture it, but but a little maybe a, a little pushback on this. I mean, I I think that we're we're trying to create what you just kind of create. I I just don't see the practicality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see that actually happening in America. That, that that I mean, that's, it's a great stat that they threw out, but it's a stat that I think obfuscates the real issue of where power lives and how power changes. You know, I mean, um, capital is only going to give what they want to give to control what's around them, not to change things that's around them.
4: Well, but people control the capital. So, so for example... Who control, what do you so, mean people So, so a co-op... Is people who have a small amount of of capital that they've decided to leverage together in a different way than say an investor a, a traditional investor set would so i'm saying that 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 what we ought to be trying to find is the common language that 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 because there are like so you talk about uh i g irwin you know here's a guy who founded the national council of churches he ran cummings it was a huge diesel- co- i mean this is a guy that that really believed and financed you know things that meant right and so where is that conversation? It, too, too many times the jerks get the win in business, right? And, and my guys on Wall Street will tell me, man, well, I, I know I don't want to do this deal. And I know it's bad for everybody, including me. But if I don't do it, I get fired. See, that's the system telling us what – and so what I'm saying, where do you bring the people of conscience together, right, that say these systems are creating bad outcomes for the people they're supposed to serving and those people within them? And that we're all oppressed and we all need some healing for, for, because cause that part of that is a conversation around class. Part of it's about racism, gender, right? But but the thread running through all of it is equity, right? And and the, and the mental health thread is what is allostatic load, which is my ten dollar word, meaning your tipping point of stress to get you to crazy, right? That's why we have lower life expectancy as people of color is because we're chronically stressed, mm-hmm. right? Tanasi talks about it by fear in his book. It's about the fear of, of of every day and how that takes a little bit of your life every day, takes your degrees of freedom, all that time you spend worrying you can't spend. Investing social capital like like Marissa does at the Living Well, convening you know you know government, uh, 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 nonprofits, and the academy and business together like you're doing on Thursday. You know every time we're spending fixing something else, we're not doing productively. You know it's an opportunity cost to that. We're not we're not investing that differently.
0: Right, and I also think that um, and it's beautiful the way Michael has brought us all together. Even though I'm i have known Marissa for a long time and we have um, worked together as well. It, this this whole concept of us you know joining forces and um um bringing our best um our best foot forward and and what it is that we have a strength in and then working together to capitalize on whatever um those dollars are and so um i think that that's important as well
2: Marissa do you want to jump in on this will we get back to the phones
1: yeah i just want to say um you know, that, you know, the Living Well, you know, when we look at, you know, how we get at the table, we get at the table, you know, through our social capital, how do we, we get to the table? I just, you know, I'd like to tell a quick story. Um, I met think, um, a Berkeley uh, professor and entertainer, um, through a friend um, that knew him. Anyway, he came to the Living Well, and we invited some, some students from the Baltimore School um, for the Arts, that were in the audience, uh, you know, staying with him. Um, long story short, you know, he, they went, he invited them to D.C. to uh, perform at the Bohemian Taverns, and uh, two of those girls right now have a, have a gig as a result of that. And I think that, you know, all too often, we sometimes play short, you know, the opportunities that we have in our own community, the opportunities that we have to leverage our own resources, and you know, I'm thinking about this whole notion of nonprofit funding. I teach nonprofit management at the University of Baltimore, and you know, as a as a community uh, development practitioner, um, I understand fully that those dollars are not out there like they were before 9/11 and Katrina, et cetera. Uh, funders want to know what is the value proposition, and also funders want to see that nonprofits have a generating revenue line of business, right? And so what is our fair there? It's important for us to recognize that although we're out there doing the good work, we must build within our infrastructures of our social entrepreneurship um, type of venture that there is a value add for the, the, the conscious economy, if you will, if that makes sense. And so I think more organizations really need to look at you know, how they can look at um, you know, organizations such as the Black Mental Health Alliance and Equity Matters to help them to improve their their capacity, if you will. But, you know, with all that being said, I think it's important for us to, you know, go back to the conversation of healing and mental health. And one of the things that um, the doctor said was that our body, you know, provides the balance and we operate in an environment and a landscape that there is no balance. We are twenty four seven on the grind and people need to understand that healing starts work from within and we have to find those outlets. So for the past six weeks we were funded through the city to do healing circles and we, you know, did all kinds of healing circles. We did, you know, drumming, rhythm circles, we did Qigong, we did a singing circle that was just amazing. And people came out and they, what they really loved was not only the, the act of whatever it was that we were doing, but they really enjoyed and felt safe in the, you know, I get to talk about this. I get to talk about what I'm feeling. What I, I get to talk about what I experienced during the uprising. So we have these photos that are on exhibit now that were done by our house photographer, Ruben Green, and a community activist and a storyteller, a digital storyteller, Dominic now, that they, they took pictures on the ground. Dominic now lives in, in, in the Northampton neighborhood. Uh, Baltimore that came together, the people that didn't make the national media, you know, showing how we are the Charm city, how we really do a lot of love and, um, and respect and understanding in our community. And so that, you know, moving forward, we're going to make sure that, you know, our children, you know, get mental health services through a network of mental health providers. Then, um, in um, the Black Mental Health Alliance, uh, they they did emancipation circles, um, you know, training. So we're going to have people that uh, participated in that emancipation training, emotional emancipation training, uh, do circles after living well. Actually, tomorrow we're hosting the Community Development Network of Maryland meeting because community development institutes must come together. And talk about this holistic piece, not only the mental health piece, but the job piece, as well as the housing piece, which, you know, really is what's going to make a difference in our
0: community. I just wanted to piggyback on that. Thank you, Marissa, for that um, information, especially as it relates to the emotional emancipation circles, because the Black Mental Health Alliance did work with the Community Healing Network and the Association of Black Psychologists to have a training at the end of June for 30 individuals who are now trained to facilitate emotional emancipation circles. And they're really um, within groups um, where people can come and they can talk about their issues because, as Marissa just stated, there are so many people who feel like there's nobody that um, is listening to me, or there's no place where I can have conversation. And these emotional emancipation circles will allow that. Uh, Charlene Phipps, and I hope that um, Dr., Johnson-Evans will forgive me because I always get confused about whether it's Johnson-Evans or Evans-Johnson. They're already having and have had, since the uprising, emotional emancipation circles every three weeks at the center um, at on Baltimore Street. I believe it's um, 1200 Baltimore, West Baltimore Street. And so these emotional emancipation circles are so very critical for people who don't have this kind of um, drop-in um, place to um to have people listen to them and because we have trained thirty people, we um hope to have uh it where just like the NA meetings or AA meetings that you would just have drop in centers where people can come and talk whenever they feel the need. And so we are very excited to um help facilitate these emotional emancipation circles that will initially start in zip codes two one, two one five, one six and one seven.
4: Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You, you, no, nothing, nothing makes you feel better like a check. Yeah, and so you know, part of what we've been talking about today is not just kind of griping and moaning about you know who's not cutting us checks, but how do we cut our own checks, mm-hmm. right? How All do right. we convene? You know, we're doing something under Armour tomorrow and Plank Industries, really talking about cutting checks to to entrepreneurs on the ground and and you know and backstopping. You know, we're, we're, we're hashtag it's hashtag leverage the hustle because we know how to hustle in Baltimore, right? That's that mm-hmm. and that's a response. A, that's a mental health response mm-hmm. to a system that's not. Supporting you is you figure it out, right? And, but we haven't leveraged it in a way. Uh, and so, so trying to figure that out. But but part of that is, is to to all of the points that have been made, and even the earlier callers, is, is how do we do that? How do we convene and, and call? You know, there's some great work in trauma being done in the city, right? But there's also the risk that it ha- happens every time, right? Every time there's a new buzz term, whether it's food deserts or social determinants, you know, somebody's going to get a check written. The question is, is it the community that's leading that conversation? Are they getting checks? Are they... Um, uh, having their voices heard. Are they expressing, inventing, but also doing something productive about it? And I think we get to that by modeling this collaboration between, you know, Equity Matters, Mental Health Alliance, Living Well, and academic institutions. Mm -hmm. University of Maryland is doing some great work, school social work around co-ops. So that'll be part of the conversation. So it won't just be the capitalists. It'll be you know how do we think about co-op space and supporting that kind of capital capital infusion, the evergreen model, the ground stuff. So 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 we set our own tables and we say no, I'm not going to be I'm not going to let you create false choices. Mm-hmm. I'm going to set my table. We're going to bring our own money. We're going to make our own money. We're going to cut some checks.
2: It'd be good if we got to a point where people could cut their own checks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I I think but it, the the the. I mean, the larger question to me is hearing what people are talking about in this community about building wholeness and healing from the inside and come up with other ways of managing what's happening inside a community as opposed to being told how to manage them Mm -hmm. from the outside, which is what always happens.
0: Right, right.
2: And opportunities to kind of push the envelope. Uh, And we want to thank, uh, first of all, earlier Dr. Mindy Fuller for being with us. And in the studio now, you just heard uh, Jan Desperes-Peters, who is Executive Director of the Black Mental Health Alliance, and Marissa Stone Bass, Director of Living Well, Michael Scott, Chief Equity, office, chief equity Officer and President and Co-Founder of Equity Matters. Thank you all so much for being in the studio today.
0: Thank you. Thanks for doing it, Mark. I think it's fine building jumbo
2: planes Taking a ride on a cosmic train Switch on, summer. The Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our assistant producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadia Ramadan, Our engineer is Andrea Melton. Our theme music is by Warren Matthews of Clean Cuts. Please send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at the Podcast the Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends Please Tell visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. A source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, of the voice of the community. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.
0: Where well, you roll on roads
2: Over fresh green grass For your lorry loads and petrol, gas, and you make them long and you make them tough, but they just go on and on, and it seems that you can't get off. Oh, I know we've come a long
5: way, but changing day to day.